welcome to Meadowbrook Church, leading people into the Christ-centered life. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. Grab your Bibles and meet me in Matthew chapter 5. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 970 in that Bible. We'll be digging into that in just a minute. We've been in a series that we've called Roots, looking at some of our roots as an Anabaptist church. And what does it mean to be Anabaptist? And that word maybe has been new to some of of you. Some of you have grown up in it, but we've just been looking at a few distinctives. Uh, Every branch of the church has wonderful blessings that they add, and we can learn from all of them. Uh, Every church lands in one stream or another, and so we are not saying we're better or we're right? We just happen to be an Anabaptist church. And so this week is part two of a message that we started last week as we've talked about uh, an Anabaptist distinction of pacifism or what is sometimes called peacemaking. And it's one of the few things actually that are uniquely Anabaptist. There are not many other branches of the church that emphasize this in the same way. But pacifism, when we talk about pacifism, it means literally to pacify. It doesn't mean to be passive. And that's one of the most common misunderstandings is when people hear about this teaching and they say, okay, well, you would just sit there and do nothing when bad things are going on. You would not fight. You would just sit there and let it happen and you would do nothing. And pacifists, would say, no, not at all. That's not at all what the word means. Pacifism is not passive. It means to pacify. Literally, the picture is, it is to peaceify a situation. Where there is conflict, we bring peace. We can't do nothing, but we will actively bring peace, whether it is in warfare or whether it's a fight with our family or whether it's a conflict that we witness in the street. Whatever it looks like, we are to peaceify the world. And we're going to say that word peaceify a lot today, which isn't a real word, but it's going to stick in your heads anyway, because I want you to take it with you that we as Christ followers are to peaceify conflict wherever we see it. We are not to add to the conflict. We are not to escalate the conflict. We are to peaceify. We are to calm down the conflict. When Jesus came and walked this earth, uh, heaven came down for the first time. Heaven came down in Jesus, and Jesus walks the earth. And as Jesus preaches, his overarching message of everything that he preaches in teaches is the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven is invading earth in Jesus. And his plan is, is that after he dies and raises from the dead and returns to heaven, that we, his church, we who follow after him, would continue walking in the ways of heaven, where he taught us heaven is like this. Here are the values of heaven. Here are the ethics of heaven. That we, as Christ followers, would live out heaven's values and ethics right now here on earth. That heaven is not just something that's coming later, that eternity has begun for us now, eternal life has already started, and we are to live out heaven's ways now. And Jesus says, that's going to be like yeast when you're kneading dough, and the yeast kind of works its way through all of the dough. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus says, that's what it's going to be like, that as you, the church, live out these values, then heaven is going to sort of infiltrate and work its way through the world, and that the world will be able to look at the church and say, that's what heaven's love looks like. That's what heaven's joy looks like. That's what heaven's generosity looks like. That's what heaven's peace looks like. Because there will be no violence and no warfare in heaven. And so the pacifist belief is that we are to start living heaven's peace now and demonstrating to the world what peace looks like. And it's not an easy teaching at all. 
Uh, not at all. And so one of the things we talked a bit about last week is that this is what we call a disputable matter. That's a phrase that Paul uses in Romans 14, that there are core matters of the faith that we don't disagree on, but then there are disputable matters, which means good, solid Christians who love Jesus and love God's word can come to different conclusions on different things because sometimes the word can be understood in different ways. And so a disputable matter is an area where we say we can lovingly disagree uh, without calling the other person a heretic, without calling the other person a pagan, without accusing the other person of hating God's word or whatever, we can agree to disagree in a loving way. And we're getting, actually, I think, pretty good at that as a church at Meadowbrook Church. And I know not all churches have that, but I was saying to Mesh this week, I'm just so proud of how we're navigating tough conversations. Last week's sermon was a tough sermon, and, and this week's as well. Uh, we've just come through wrestling through women in leadership, and we've done different things. And as we do these things, I just said, I'm just proud of us, Meadowbrook. Way to go for how we are able to disagree in a loving way without anyone storming out the door or threatening to storm out the door or saying that's heresy. Like we are, we are getting really good at this. And I've pastored in different places and I'm connected to many, many pastors who are pastoring in different places. And I don't know that there's a lot of churches that have that where we can actually jump into a tough thing. I was nervous to preach last week, but I wasn't as nervous as I would be if I was preaching somewhere else because I thought Meadowbrook's mature enough to handle this. So good for us, and I, I don't want to sound braggy, but I'm bragging right now. Good for us for navigating these tough things in a loving way because we got to be able to do that. The only other option is we can just fight nonstop or we can not talk about them and ignore them. Uh, and we can do that as well. But to actually engage in tough conversations and to do it in a gracious way is not always easy or natural, and, but we're doing it here. And so I'm very proud of us. One of the things we did last week was said, send in your questions. Uh, if you have any questions about this or what this will look like and just an avalanche of really good questions came in. And it was so exciting that you were engaging with this. And I got myself sort of in a dilemma where I went, oh, the sermon, uh, it's communion Sunday and we're honoring Sarah. The sermon's got to be shorter today. And yet there were all these really good questions. And then next week we're doing the Love Leamington recap and I'm actually away next week. So we couldn't add another Sunday, which I would have loved to do. So what we've done instead is we took all of your questions and I've actually recorded a third part to this series. Last week was part one. Today is part two. I've recorded already a part three and we will put that up on our website and we will put that up on our podcast. And so if your question doesn't get answered this morning, it got answered on part three. Okay. So we called it Peaceify part three extended scenes. Cause when you get a DVD or a Blu-ray, there's always scenes that can't quite fit in. And so the extended scenes will go up online today or tomorrow. And uh, please go if your question didn't get answered today. And there were just so many really good, important questions. And I didn't want to do them the injustice of trying to give a 30 second quick, uh, simple answer. And so uh, that will go online and everything else will be on there. All right, let's take a look at our text today. We're in Matthew chapter 5. This is actually just the same uh, scripture that we looked at last week, but I just wanted to revisit it again. Matthew chapter 5, and we're starting in verse 38. Jesus is preaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. That's where we get the expression, go the extra mile from that verse. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. 
You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And let's stop there. It's interesting. It's been said that uh, loving your enemy is the thing that sets Christian morality apart from other religions and other philosophies of the world, that most religions and philosophies will have a sense of, you know, be honest and take care of the poor and and love people, like most religions will teach that. But here Jesus says, it's not just about loving your family, it's not just about loving your friends, it's not just about loving your group, it's about loving even your enemies. And he says here, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Jesus says, the family resemblance of people who are children of God is that they love even their enemies because that's what God did for us. That we were sinners and we were against him and he did not bring his wrath down upon us. He actually laid down his life for us to bring peace to our relationship with him. And so even though we were enemies of God, he loved us anyway. And Jesus says, love your enemies. That's going to make you children of God because that's what the father does. And children look like their fathers. And so the the resemblance to God for us is going to be we love even our enemies. And again, that is not easy at all because we all have an instinct of self-preservation. We have an instinct to protect ourselves. There is just a very natural mentality of you insult me, I insult you. You hurt me, I hurt you back because I can't let you get away with that or you'll do it to me again. And around and around and around we go in this cycle. It was amazing to Sarah and I as parents, like how young our kids were. Like when Kaylee was the only kid we had, there was no fighting because she was the only one. And then another kid shows up and now there's fighting. And how young they were when it became, you know, Matthew hit me, so I hit him back. And we went, we did not teach you that. That was not something we demonstrated for you. But there is just something instinctual in us that says, you hurt me, I hurt you. And in the midst of that, Jesus says, no, we're going a different way, actually. And, and he consistently teaches us throughout this, this time. But this, uh, we said last week, the teaching from Scripture is maybe one of the easiest things to understand. Like, it, it seems so clear that Jesus says, go the way of peace and go the way of love. Don't retaliate and don't fight back. Choose a different way to respond. That seems crystal clear in the Gospels and elsewhere. And yet it's maybe the toughest thing in real life when you start to put yourself in a situation or maybe you've personally experienced these situations where you go, what do I actually do in that moment? I was picking up Matthew from school the other day. Matthew and Kaylee are in kindergarten at a school here in town. And as I was picking them up, I waved across the, the yard at them. They saw me, and Matthew, he's really an excitable kid. He jumps up and down a lot, and he's, he's usually pretty happy. He's either really happy or really grumpy. He has nothing in between. So he was really happy this day, and he ran up to one of the kids in his class who was about a good head taller than him, and he was jumping up and down excited, and I feel like he was probably saying, my dad's here, my dad's here, just because that's the way he is, and, and I was feeling good. And whatever he was saying, the older kid went, I just see this across the playground. And then he grabs Matthew by the face and goes, and so I'm starting to, you know, I can't go on that playground. I can't cross that line. Where's a teacher? Where's somebody? And then the bell rang and Matt backed up and he was, he was shaken and, and he was fine. And we talked about it afterwards. Now I have never struck a child and would never strike a child. But in that moment, the thought went through my head, someone else needs to smack that kid across the face. (laughs) This is not the way of peace. But the question then becomes, then what do we do? 
right? I mean, the, someone said to me last week, the teachings of Jesus, I get it, I believe it, but then real life happens, and, and evil happens, and these confrontations happen, and what do we do in order to respond? What does loving our enemy actually look like? So what we did last week was we laid out uh, the pacifist argument. I'm not going to do it all again because we don't have time. If you missed last week's message, please go back and listen to it. It's online, the website, and on our podcast. Uh, But we went through lots of scripture and we threw a lot of stuff at you. Today's just going to be very, very practical of what can this look like? What does peacemaking look like in real life? Anabaptists have always been uh, what is sometimes called a third way movement. And so when the Reformation is happening, if you're a Christian in Europe, you're either a Catholic or you're a Protestant. There's, There's nothing else. You're either a Catholic or you're a Protestant. And the Anabaptists said, well, we're not Catholic and we're kind of mostly Protestant, but we're actually going to chart a third way because we kind of reject the premise that you have to be one or the other. And it's one of the things I love about the Anabaptist movement so much is that that's been their attitude as they approach everything has been, you know what, we reject the premise of, of dichotomies, that it has to be one or it has to be the other because the world's more complicated than that and there's gray areas sometimes and so we're not going to label anything as clearly one way or the other and this is what happens when it comes to peacemaking is the argument often goes you either fight or you do nothing and Anabaptist said, no, there's a third way. There's, there's lots more we can do besides just those two extremes. And so let's think about what is a creative and loving and gracious and peaceful way that we can respond to conflict that does not escalate the conflict but actually peacifies the conflict, that actually brings the conflict down because Jesus has told us to go and be peacemakers. So we're going to jump right into some sort of hypotheticals today uh, for us, but they're not actually hypothetical because these are all things that have happened in real life. So the question comes up every single time, so what about Hitler? Hitler, in certainly in the lifetime, uh, not that all of us were born then, but in recent history, easy to probably say the most evil or at least one of the most evil people to ever walk this earth. I want to wipe out the Jewish race. I want to take over the world. Uh, He partners with Japan. Japan is also very aggressive. They want to dominate and take over the world. And so World War II happens, and the question that comes back on pacifists is, what do you do then? You either have to fight, or you're just going to sit there and do nothing while Hitler takes over the world. And Anabaptist said, let's see if there's something in between. Uh, Is there any way we can lovingly and peacefully respond to evil? And so I'm going to show you a clip now. It's from the movie Hacksaw Ridge. I've talked to you about this movie before, and uh, this is about a man named Desmond Doss, who was, he was not an Anabaptist. He was a Seventh-day Adventist, but he was a Christian pacifist when World War II broke out, and he said, I cannot fight. I cannot contribute to the death and destruction, uh, but he found a way to stand up against evil. He found a way to respond uh, in a loving and peaceful way. And so in the scene we're about to show, uh, he's at boot camp. He is getting court-martialed because he refuses to pick up a gun. He said, my Christian conviction is uh, I can't pick up uh, an element that's going to kill people, and so I won't even touch the gun. And so he's being court-martialed for disobeying an order, and here is a clip from that scene. That could have been the whole sermon right there, but I'm going to talk for much longer, so... Uh, Desmond Doss, real guy, uh, real Christian pacifist. He has this struggle. What do I do? I don't want to contribute to the death and destruction. I can't sit at home and do nothing. But in that little 60-second clip right there, he gave maybe the perfect peacemaker argument. Just the main points were so 
key to this whole discussion. He says, I have to stand up against evil, right? Evil is happening. I have to do something. I can't just sit around. I can't do nothing, like one end of the argument. I can't just sit there while others go and do it for me. I have to actively do something, but I can't contribute to the death and to the destruction. I can't be a part of that as a follower of Jesus. So instead, I will be a force for good in the middle of the death and destruction. Where death and destruction is going to be happening, I will go and be a force for good, for peace, for love, for healing. And when life is being taken, I'm going to be saving. And that's exactly what he does. He goes over, he fights in the Battle of Okinawa and uh, is one of the medics there. And uh, one night when American forces are pinned down and and there is no way out for anybody, uh, he runs into the battlefield. He pulls one by one, 75 wounded men out of the fire. And he has no way to defend himself. He's in the danger zone with everybody else, but he pulls 75 men out of harm's way and and ministers to many along the way as a medic. Uh, There's times where he even ministers to Japanese soldiers on the battlefield because Jesus said, love your enemy. And so that is what he does, and he wins the Medal of Honor. And so you look at him, and Romans 12, 21 says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Part of the peacemaker argument is, you know, I'm not going to resist death and destruction by using death and destruction. I'm going to find a different, a more positive, a more creative, a more healing, a more life-giving, a more loving, a more peaceful way to stand up. And so where there is death and destruction, I am going to do good. And in that way, I can hold to my Christian witness while still taking a stand and still serving. And no one can call him a hypocrite for letting others go for him. No one can say he's not brave. In some ways, he's almost braver, not to take away any bravery from anyone else who is serving, who is worthy of our honor. But, you know, he doesn't have a way to defend himself. He's going in defenseless into the same dangers, and he's risking his life to save others. And so you can ask yourself, well, would more violence have helped that situation if he had gone the other way and said, I'll pick up a gun and I'll fight? There's at least 75 guys who wouldn't have gotten pulled out of harm's way. 75 more families, maybe, devastated by war. Who knows how many people he might have killed if he contributed to the violence that was going on. He said, I'm going to find a peaceful and a loving way. It's hard to reconcile Jesus saying, love your enemies with kill your enemies. And so he went in a different direction. He didn't go to one extreme or the other. He found a third way. And he went, I think, a little more in the way of Jesus as he did that, trying to follow the teachings of Jesus to the best that he understood. The question for us is, what does loving our enemy look like? What does that look like in real life? That is the challenge of the message today. But what about when someone breaks into your home? This comes up often as well. Someone comes in, and that's your, that's your castle, that's your safe place, your family is there. Someone is breaking in and maybe wishing you harm. Uh, don't you have a right to defend yourself? And I would say, listen, I would never judge anybody who defended themselves in that moment. I would never judge anyone who stood up. But the teachings of Jesus are here, and they challenge us just to say, is there another way? In between pick up a gun and defend myself, in between sitting there and doing nothing, what else might we do in this scenario? And so I'm going to tell two stories here. Uh, Both are real stories, one where it went badly and one where it went better. Uh, You might remember this headline from a few years ago, Texas pastor killed by intruder with his own gun. Uh, And the fact that he's a pastor doesn't have anything to do with the story. It's It's just tragic. It's a tragic story. 
And it, he reacted the way that most of us maybe would react, where in the middle of the night, this man heard someone breaking into his home, and so he grabbed his gun, and he went to confront the intruder, and the intruder saw the gun, and a struggle ensued, and the intruder got the gun away from him and killed the pastor, tragically. It ends in, in violence and tragedy. And it just, you have to look at it and say, might there have been another way that could have been, could have been handled? And in the moment, it's fast, and I know it's not like you're necessarily planning your steps out, you know, all in advance. It's a quick decision, but, you know, there's an assumption, I think, that sometimes we say uh, violence is the only thing that will work. And also, the assumption, I think, also is violence will always work, right? When the intruder comes into your house, violence is the only thing that will stop him, and it will definitely stop him because you have a gun. But here's a story where that doesn't play out that way. And who knows how that action might have actually escalated the conflict. Maybe the intruder was just looking to steal something. Maybe the intruder didn't mean them harm, and we'll never know. But by bringing violence into the situation, the situation definitely seems to escalate. Now, juxtapose that to a different story. I heard a missionary share this story once, that he and his wife were in a foreign country. I actually don't remember where it was. They were in the third world somewhere. There was a lot of poverty, and they were in a rough neighborhood. And they were in their house, and his wife was cooking dinner in the kitchen, and the window in the kitchen was open, and she heard whispering coming from outside the kitchen window, and she went over to listen, and she could hear multiple men were in the alleyway outside her house, and they were plotting how they were going to break into the missionary's house and kill the family and rob them because there was a, a reputation that they had lots of money and they had lots of medicine and, and none of that was true. But she heard the men plotting how they were going to break in and kill them and rob them. And so she calls her husband and she says, they're outside, they're about to come in, they're going to kill us. And so again, he has a split second to decide. And again, would never judge anyone for picking up a kitchen knife and saying, okay, we're going to take our stand and we're going to defend our family. But what he does in that split second is he walks out into the alley, he sees four men standing there who are plotting to take his life and rob his house. And he says, hey guys, we're about to sit down for dinner. Do you want to come and join us? And the guys went, yes. And they came in, and they sat down, and they broke bread, and they shared a meal, and no one got killed that night, and the house was not robbed that night. He peacified the situation. And again, I would never judge anyone for fighting in that moment. It would be very hard to sit there and do nothing in that moment, but he found another way, a more loving way, a more peaceful way, and he actually changed those people who would be killers into a friend in that moment. And that's what the way of love and peace does. It's not just about winning or protection. It's about change. One of Martin Luther King's contemporaries who walked with him peacefully, and they were peacefully standing up against racism in the southern states, and they were getting terrible things done to them. They were being beaten, and they were having their lives threatened, and many of them did lay down their lives in the cause. And they said, we're going to follow the way of Jesus. We are not going to retaliate. We are going to turn the other cheek. We are going to love our enemies. And one of Martin Luther King's contemporaries said, we're not trying trying to beat our oppressors. We want to convert them, right? We don't want them to, to just, you know, give up the fight. We want the racism to change. And it's not that racism's gone, obviously, but if they had resisted violently, if someone hates you just because you're black and you as a black man punch him in the face in retaliation, justified or not, you're not doing anything to deal with the racism in his heart. You're just going to confirm it. You're going to entrench it. Because a black man is now hurting you. 
And so they said, we can't fight that way. We have to go a different way if we're going to change the culture. And so they followed after the way of Jesus and went a different way. And they peacified the situation. They didn't escalate the conflict. They brought peace where there was conflict. But what about when I see conflict in front of me? Sometimes there's a tendency of we need to jump in and defend someone. We need to help. I want to show you a clip here. There's no sound on it. It's someone shot a video on their phone on a subway train, and the language is atrocious. <laughs> we just blocked out all the sound on it. Um, but it's a fight has broken out. There's a man and a woman on the train, and they have been jawing at each other, and then they are swearing at each other, and then they were screaming at each other, and then this video comes in when they are actually starting to physically attack one another. So they, are, they have been going at it for a while, and it is starting to get violent. The man there is bleeding from where she has hit him. How is this conflict going to end? What's going to happen? To, to end this dispute that is going on. And then this guy jumps in. And this guy is my hero. Because <laughs> he doesn't even stop eating his chips. He just jumps in to the middle of a fight. And he's still just snacking away. And he doesn't apparently say anything. He doesn't apparently do anything. But the fight is now over as he inserted himself in the middle of it. Now he's going to potentially take some punches and kicks as he does that. He doesn't know how this might escalate. He doesn't know if someone might pull a knife or a gun or a weapon. He has no idea, but he inserts himself in the middle of the conflict. He does not escalate the conflict in any way. Now, if he went in and, and tackled somebody or started swinging to try and stop you know, the one side from beating up the other side, who knows how that escalation might have happened from there. But he goes in a different direction and he peacifies the situation. He brings peace to the middle of the conflict and he puts his body and maybe even his life on the line to do that. And he's willing to take a punch. He's willing to take a kick. He's willing to get in there. And he's the coolest guy ever because he can't stop eating chips while he's in the middle of it. But he manages to bring peace to this conflict. And, and we see in the life of Jesus, he was willing to take a blow. He put his life on the line to bring peace to our conflict with him, where we were sinners who were separate from God. And he shows us that the way of Jesus is not always the way of self-preservation. That we should be willing to lay our life on the line. We should be willing to take a beating that we don't deserve. We should be willing to suffer, to do what is good, to do what is right. We should be willing to do that. We are so Christ-like in those moments. When we take a punch that we don't deserve, but we do it in the service of doing what is good, we are so much like Jesus there. It is so brave to be able to do that. It is not passive. It is not adding to the violence. There is another way where we choose the way of peace and love, and we bring an end to conflict as we do that. But what about if you see a man attacking a woman across the street? This is a proverbial one that comes up all the time as well. What about, uh, you know, I get, I, listen, I can take a beating myself if someone's, be, I don't need to retaliate, but if I see a woman and there's a man wailing on her, uh, I gotta get in there, I gotta do something. And again, pacifists would say, yes, you do, absolutely. It would be immoral to stand there and do nothing. But do you need to contribute and add to the violence? Is there another way that things could go? So Bruxy Cavey tells this story. It's a personal story from his life. He's the teaching pastor at the Meeting House Church in Oakville. And he, for my money, is maybe the best Bible teacher we have in Canada. Uh, just an amazing guy. 
And he is a pacifist. He's at an Anabaptist church, Brethren in Christ. And he tells this story that when he was a younger man, he was in Ottawa, our nation's capital, and they were doing some street evangelism. And they were in a bit of a rough neighborhood. And so they're sharing Jesus with people on the street. And as they are doing that, all of a sudden, a young black woman goes sprinting past. And her ethnicity is important to the story. A young black woman goes sprinting past, and Bruxy said, you know, in retrospect, it wasn't like, oh, I missed the bus, or I'm late for an appointment. Like, she was running for her life. And it was a bit weird, and everybody kind of paused, and, and no one really knew what to do, and so they just kept doing what they were doing. And then just a minute later, a gang of seven or eight skinheads in, in army boots and army fatigues with Nazi tattoos and everything were charging after her, white supremacists. Uh, running after her with the same uh, passion that she had just been running away. And so at that point, Bruxy starts to run. And he's, he says, my feet started running. I didn't know what I was going to do, but my feet said, hey, you, we run really slow. So you got a moment to think of what you want to say. And he came around the corner, and the woman was trapped at the end of an alley. And the men were all gathered around her, and they were just stomping on her. And Bruxy said, it wasn't the stomp of, like, we're trying to hurt you. He said, they were stomping the life out of her right in front of me. And again, split second, what do you do, right? How do you make a call in that moment? Would never judge anyone for jumping in and starting to swing and throw guys off and everything. But would that violence have de-escalated the situation? Might have made it worse. And so Bruxy pushes his way through the crowd. He throws himself on top of her body. He takes a few kicks. And then the crowd backs off because there's a new person here. And Bruxy says, I'm aware of how lame this sounds when I say it. But he said to them, I follow Jesus. I can't fight you. I can't do nothing. So you're going to have to kill me first before you get to her. And the crowd was screaming at him, get out of the way. One of them said to him, you're white. We don't want to hurt you. Get out of the way. You're one of us. And he just kept saying over and over again, I can't fight you. I can't do nothing. So you need to kill me before you get to her. And the the group was starting to, they just seemed very confused. And they were talking amongst themselves. And then eventually one said, let's go, right? Time is ticking. Time is going on. So they all turned and they just ran away. And an ambulance came and they came and got the woman. And she was okay. Um... In a split second, he makes that decision. This is what we, we got to do. I can't fight you. I can't do nothing. But here's what I can do. Here's a way of love. I can lay my life on the line in order to save your life. Now, if he'd run in swinging, again, no one would have judged him. But would that have brought the situation down? There's, there's, there's blood in the air in this moment, right? There is blood lust in this. I don't know that that would have de-escalated anything or stopped anything. Bruxy chose a different way, and he peacified the situation. He brought peace to this place of conflict. We see a little bit of this picture uh, when Jesus has a woman brought before him in John chapter 8 who's caught in adultery. There is a mob there ready to kill her. There is blood in the air, and Jesus doesn't fight. He doesn't start swinging. He doesn't sit there and do nothing. You can go read John 8 this week if you want for your homework, but Jesus finds a way to peacify the situation so that nobody gets hurt, uh, but he doesn't just sit there and do nothing. He finds another way. But what about self-defense, some people say. I I can see not being aggressive towards others, but surely I have a right to defend myself. And again, would never judge anybody who did that, who was feeling threatened. But just another way that this can go. You might remember this headline from a few years ago. Hostage reads, purpose-driven life to alleged Atlanta killer. I want to click on that article right away based on just those words. And so this was down in Atlanta. There was a man who was arrested for rape. And while he was on his way to his trial in the courthouse, 
Uh, he kills the guard who is guarding him. He kills two other courthouse employees. He manages to escape the building. He kills someone and steals their truck, and he takes off, and he's on the run. And the whole state is looking for this guy. And as he is on the run, he sees a woman walking down the street, and he comes alongside her with a weapon, and he forces her into her apartment and ties her up and stays there, and he's going to hide out in this place until the, the heat dies down, and hopefully he can get away. And so she is tied up, and she doesn't know really who he is or, or what he's doing, but he, you know, we know he is a rapist, and he is incredibly violent. And you would never you know, be upset with her if she tried to fight back, but would that violence have helped the situation? He's already a violent man. It might have made things much worse. And so what she does instead is she asks him, after he's held her for a little while, uh, can I make you some pancakes? And he says, okay. And so he lets her go, and she makes him breakfast. And then she says, I'm reading this book uh, by Rick Warren, Purpose Driven Life. It's a famous Christian book, if you don't know that. And she says, can I just read to you a little bit? I'm just in this interesting section. I, I'd love to read it. He says, yeah, okay. And so she comes, and she reads The Purpose Driven Life. And it's all about God has a purpose for us, and we were all created for a reason, and we were created to do good. And uh, he starts to ask some questions, and she says, can I get my Bible? I'd love to read you some of my Bible. He says, okay, go ahead. And so she gets the Bible, and she says, can I pray with you? And they pray together, and, and other things happen, but long story short, uh, he lets her go, and he surrenders peacefully. And again, would never judge her for fighting back, but she found another way to peacify the situation. It did not escalate into further violence. She found a way to bring peace where there was conflict. One of you asked me, and this will be our last one, said, you know, what about just what this means for me in my day-to-day -day life? She said, I'm a stay-at-home mom in Essex County. Uh, violence is not really the problem for me. Like, I'm not really facing that every day, and it's good to think about what-ifs, but, but what does this really mean? And that's the best part about peacemaking, is it's not just about war. It's not just about violence. It is about how are you bringing peace in your daily conflicts, in your family conflicts, in your work conflicts? How are you peacifying those situations? When it is so normal and natural to say, you hurt me, so I hurt you back, or you did something to me, I can't let you get away with it, so I need to revisit something on you. You insult me, so I insult you. That's just so natural, and we go round and round and round the cycle, but we are to peacify whatever situation we are in. Violent or not, we are to be peacemakers. We are not to contribute to the escalation of conflict. We are to help bring an end to conflict wherever we go. So this story is about a woman in our church, and she's a bit shy, so she's going to remain anonymous. And if you know who this is, please don't uh, spoil that, because she let me share the story uh, a little bit reluctantly. But uh, I love this story so much. And so this was a few years ago. Good Friday comes around, and this woman goes to her boss and says, Good Friday is an important day to me in my faith. It's the day that Jesus died. I want to go to church, so I don't want to work that day, please. And her boss said, oh, it's springtime. It's our busiest time of year. You have to work. Everybody has to work. She said, it's Good Friday. It's a religious holiday. I would really like it off. No, everybody works that day. And so now she has the option of doing what maybe my first reaction would have been, which is to dig your heels in and say, no, this is a religious thing. It's important to me. I'm not coming into work that day. Or I'm going to get some people and we're going to gather and we're all going to stand up to you because it's our rights and we're going to enforce our rights. Or I'm going to raise a fuss in another way. Like there's a lot of options here. All of them are probably going to escalate the conflict. But instead, she finds another way. I'm not going to raise a fight. I don't want to sit there and do nothing. 
And so she says, all right, I will work on Good Friday, but I will not get paid that day. It's not right to get paid on the day that Jesus died. And so uh, I will do my eight hours. I will work hard, but you will not pay me anything. And her boss said, well, we have to pay you. We have to pay everybody. She says, I refuse to punch the clock that day, so you're not going to know. You're not going to be able to figure out what the hours were, but I'll do my full shift, but you will not pay me anything. And that's what she does. She goes the extra mile, as Jesus tells us to. She goes into work that day, and she does her full day, and she works as hard as she always works. And the next year, as things came around, Good Friday was coming up, and without her saying anything or anyone saying anything, the management came forward and said, from now on, anyone who wants Good Friday off can have it. She peacified the situation. And as she chose the way of peace, people changed. Because my fighting back isn't going to change your heart. In any scenario, whatever we're talking about, my fighting back isn't going to change you, but the way of peace and the way of love can. And we know that because in Jesus, the way of peace and the way of love did bring change to our hearts. We became different because of what he did for us. So what does loving our enemy look like? And and sometimes we say, well, they're not my enemy. I just find them annoying. They count under enemy in this story. What does loving your enemy look like? What does the way of peace look like? What does the pacifist, peacemaking way, I don't want to escalate the conflict, I can't sit there and do nothing, I can't contribute to the violence, nor can I stand by as these things go on. So it requires us to be creative, it requires us to choose another way to go. We have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca, and we would be happy to answer any questions on the message. Happy to have a coffee or keep this conversation going. Look online for part three. Today is part two. Uh, Part three, if you had a question that we didn't answer, uh, we will get to that on there. And uh, lots of great questions came in. Here's just a few of them. Uh, Does a nation not have a right to defend itself came up. Isn't God himself pretty violent throughout the Bible? Uh, Sometimes even commanding Israel to engage in violence. That came up a few times. If Jesus is that same Old Testament God, how do we reconcile the two things? Why did Jesus tell his followers to buy swords? There's a point where Jesus specifically says buy swords. uh, If he didn't want them to use them, at least in self-defense. We're going to talk in there. Someone asked, what do you do in cases of rape or in abuse? And they were just such good questions. Uh, So they're all online. So please make sure you go and listen if you want to go any deeper than that. Come on up, worship team. We're just about done. Jesus says, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you and bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. All of us have probably experienced that at some point. And it's not always easy to love your enemy when they are not loving you in return. But as Christ followers, we are to take the initiative first. We are to do that. I heard Tony Campolo preaching a number of years ago. And the second Iraq war had just broken out around 2003. And we had just been in Iraq uh, in the early 90s before that. And Tony, who believes very much in the teachings of Jesus, says this war is a huge mistake. And lots of people were saying that at the time. It turns out they were probably right. But he said, we fought the Iraq war back in 1991, the first one. And we came up to the borders and we dropped all kinds of bombs on them. And we killed thousands and thousands and thousands of Iraqis. And we spent billions and billions and billions of dollars doing it. And we destroyed their cities and we destroyed their highways and we did all these things. And then when the war was over and they surrendered, we turned around and we went home. And he said, what if back then in 91, we had kept going, not with war, but what what if we 
did what Jesus told us to do? What if we had loved them? What if we, were, if we did good to them? If we found ways to bless them? What if we went into the, the country afterwards and we rebuilt a city and we rebuilt a highway and we rebuilt schools and we poured money into hospitals and poured money into their economy? Like this second war wouldn't be happening because we wouldn't, they wouldn't see us as enemies anymore if we did good to them. And as it is, as we are doing this and as we are, are going into this war again, all that happened is we killed tens of thousands of them and we blew up their country. And Saddam Hussein was able to say, look what the Americans did. They just killed us and blew us all up. And we would have been able to strip him of that power and we would not be going into this conflict again. And when Tony said that, I just thought it blew my mind. I had never heard of anything like that before. But it just made me think, man, why do we, why do we think that that wouldn't maybe have worked? at least better than more bombs, at least better than more war and more death. The second Iraq war was way more devastating than the first Iraq war. Maybe there could have been another way. And we have not answered every question this morning, and, and there's just a few examples we've given. That's all we had time for. I didn't intend to answer all of them, but I do intend just to get us thinking of what does loving our enemies actually look like? What can that look like? We have some stories here that show you what that can look like. And it is not always easy, but what does loving our enemies look like? And we have to be careful that we don't just go, I understand what Jesus said, but I'm not going to do it because it's hard. Because we don't actually get to do that as followers of Jesus. We want to say, okay, that's hard, so what's that going to look like? How do I be faithful to the commandments of Jesus while also navigating the real world? We said last week, come and wrestle through this discussion with us. Would you stand to your feet, please? We're going to close in just a moment as we worship Jesus this morning. When I came to Christ, I was 21 years old. And before I came to Christ, I was surrounded by violence. And I was a part of that violence. And my heart was in a violent place. And as I journeyed with Jesus, God took my anger, my heart, and how I responded to situations and softened it and broke it. And Pastor Chris talked about today is we respond to situations and we don't know how we're going to be in it uh, when it happens. However, we can be proactive in how we pray and how we ask God to soften our hearts in moments where it may come. Now, our anger may not manifest itself in angry ways or in violent ways, but in our spirit, there might be something going on. And I've been so grateful that God has softened my heart and taken away that anger I used to have as a violent person. And that's because of Jesus, not because of anything I've done, through the power of the Spirit. And as you engage in life this week, and you're in situations emotionally, in relationships, where you want to respond, or there's anger in your heart, just ask God to help you. Ask God to take away some of the rage that might be there. Because sometimes we don't talk about this in the church, but it's there often for people. And so I want to encourage you in this journey as we talk about keeping peace with people, and walking alongside as well. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that... You are the model for us. And uh, Lord, it's not easy and uh, to be in a situation and don't know how we're going to respond. And I thank you that we don't need to operate within our own flesh, but we can operate in the spirit through the power of who you are in those moments that may come up in a relationship we're in or something that has hurt us or we want to respond in a violent way. God, give us wisdom. Give us courage. Give us strength. Thank you for everybody here this week. And I pray, God, as they go into their busy time this week, that you give them wisdom and direction. And in situations where they can show love and peace, 
uh, that we build bridges with people as well. So God, protect us, uh, help us to honor you in all things. And thank you for everybody that's participated here today and folks that aren't even here too. God, I pray you would be glorified in all things. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, have a great week. If you need somebody to pray with us, some of us will be available up front. Blessings.